This is St. Louis on the Air. I'm Sarah Fenske. In Missouri, opioids are a major public health challenge. They include heroin, fentanyl, and pills like Oxycontin and Vicodin. Deaths related to opioid use have continued to rise here, even as the rates in other states have fallen. But death isn't the only public health concern stemming from opioid use. The combination of new life and opioid dependency can also lead to many complications. And that's the focus of Washington University's Clinic for Acceptance, Recovery, and Empowerment in Pregnancy, also known as the CARE Clinic. It's one of two clinics in St. Louis that care for pregnant women dealing with an opioid use disorder. And joining us today to talk about this work is Dr. Jeannie Kelly. She is the medical director of the Clinic for Acceptance, Recovery, and Empowerment. Again, the care clinic at WashU. So, Dr. Kelly, welcome to the program. Thank you. So, what kind of services do you provide for pregnant women? So, at the care clinic, we provide comprehensive prenatal care. So, I'm an obstetrician, so I am there to provide your routine ultrasounds, your routine screening in pregnancy, lab work, etc. Um, but in addition to prenatal care, uh, I am a high-risk obstetrician, so I take care of moms who have pregnancy complications. And specifically for the care clinic, that is their substance use disorder and their opioid use disorder. So we are waived to prescribe buprenorphine, which is a uh, medication to treat opioid use disorder directly in the clinic along with their prenatal visits. In addition to me, the clinic is also staffed by uh, a psychiatry and perinatal behavioral health team of social workers, therapists, and a psychiatrist who's co-located in the clinic. We designed this uh, clinic to really be a one-stop shop. There's a lot of appointments that have to happen in pregnancy in general. And when you add on a complication like opioid use disorder, uh, you know, it really takes a village and it's a lot of appointments for our patients. So uh, we really wanted to provide a comprehensive service to them. And so how long have you been doing this work with this particular population? We opened the care clinic in June of 2018. So it's been um, about a one and a half years. And has there been pretty high demand for those services? There there have been, um, probably unsurprisingly, knowing kind of what the opioid use disorder numbers have been in St. Louis and in Missouri. Uh, we are actually, we started as a half a day a week clinic and volume has kind of expanded so much that we are opening a second half day uh, in addition to our original. So we have seen a pretty high number in our clinic. And I'm wondering, you mentioned um, this this drug that you're able to treat women with. Um, I, I don't dare try to pronounce that <laughs> name right there. Yes, buprenorphine, otherwise known um, as Subutex or Suboxone. And so this is something where a woman is pregnant, she's got her fetus in there, um, and this is a drug that you're prescribing her. W what does it do um, in these cases? Uh, great question. So when someone has been exposed to opioids for a really long time, so fentanyl, heroin, prescription pills like uh, Percocet, Vicodin, Dilaudid, etc., uh, what happens is those pills are um, go to the opioid receptor in the brain and activate it. And what we think happens over time is that there are kind of long-term changes that happen to a person's brain chemistry at that opioid receptor, that when you take that opioid away, uh, it creates a lot of 
uncomfortable and very miserable situation, you know, for, for the patient. So they go through this acute withdrawal uh, when you take away the opioid. It's been described as the worst flu uh, that anyone can ever experience. It's terrible. I would not wish it on anybody. But even long term after they get across kind of the worst of that withdrawal, there's still ongoing cravings and ongoing kind of discomfort and um, horrible kind of triggers that would cause someone to relapse. So a couple of medications have been developed to basically treat that feeling so that people don't feel withdrawal, feel terrible, or feel uh, triggers and cravings to relapse. Buprenorphine is one of those medications. So it acts at the opioid receptor, but instead of fully activating it, it only partially activates it so that you aren't getting that full activation. You can't get high, you can't um, have that euphoria, and you don't get sleepy or over-sedated on the right dose, but rather it activates it only partially so you don't experience any of the withdrawal or cravings. So what kind of impact would that have on a baby in utero? So All of the studies on buprenorphine has shown, number one, it's not associated with any birth defects. Um, It Because it removes the mom from kind of that opioid use and misuse environment, they're no longer waking up every day thinking, gosh, where am I going to get my heroin? Where am I going to get the fentanyl to avoid the horrible feeling of withdrawal? Because they no longer have to be in those environments. Um, They are removed from those you know, other illicit drug use, um, dangerous environments where there's prostitution, rape, um, you know, violence uh, mm-hmm. and abuse. They're removed from those environments. They're also removed, you know, the, the risk of overdose is greatly decreased for these moms. So it actually prolongs um, pregnancies. The rates of preterm birth, preterm delivery really go down the uh, size of the babies, so they're no longer growth restricted because they're not exposed to this um, other illicit drug use. And uh, it, you know, keeps mom and babies together in custody. So all of the outcomes that we've seen for buprenorphine and pregnancy have uh, been shown to benefit the baby. And you talked a little bit about the kind of withdrawal effects that a woman might have if she's been using these opioids and tries to stop abruptly without something like this. What would happen to a baby if he's used to getting the drugs through mom and then that she goes cold turkey for whatever reason? Right. So uh, we know that withdrawal in pregnancy um, can cause some fetal stress. There's some older studies that, uh, you know, we used to think, oh, no, a woman should never, ever go through withdrawal in pregnancy um, because it's dangerous for the baby, that it would cause miscarriage or stillbirth. We've actually had some really great new studies that have come out that show that's not actually the case. Hmm. We don't actually think opioid withdrawal causes fetal death uh, via miscarriage or with a stillbirth. Um, What You know, what we do know is that if a woman does go through withdrawal and stays off of uh, opioids without any medication to kind of treat her after that, her risk of relapse is incredibly high in pregnancy. So over 90% of women 
um, will relapse. That's a really high number. Yes, and that's and that's the uh, you know reason that we strongly encourage women to go into treatment um, if they have this opioid use disorder. We know that going on this medication decreases all of the bad sequelae of an opioid relapse during pregnancy. So this is more than anything, it's a way to keep her off heroin, to keep her off fentanyl, things like that. Um, You mentioned going into treatment. This is not inpatient treatment. They're just, they're able to live at home and just see you guys once a week or or how frequently? Exactly, so we see patients you know, as frequently as we need, but typically one every one to three weeks. And that kind of depends on where they are in their recovery. Um, the nice thing about buprenorphine or Subutex or Suboxone compared to methadone is that we're able to prescribe it for them. They can take home a week's worth of medication, up to a month's worth of medication if they're stable in their recovery. It's a private medication. They come to the clinic if they're, you know, seen uh, with the doctor. For methadone, it's a wonderful medication that has been shown to have great benefit in pregnancy and outside of pregnancy, but it's a lot for our moms. It's a lot for anybody. It's a clinic that you have to go to every single day, uh, stand in line uh, with a lot of you know people that may be from a part of your life that triggers um, a lot of relapse and can be traumatic for a lot of our moms with kiddos. So these alternatives take you out of that scene. Exactly. You're able to just exactly. take it in your own house. Okay. We're talking to Dr. Jeannie Kelly. She's the medical director of the Care Clinic at Washington University, which deals with pregnant women who have opioid disorders. Now, a patient that we'll call B attended the Care Clinic in 2019, and you, Dr. Kelly, were her physician. Uh, B was using heroin and fentanyl. She had started when she was 16, and she found out she was 14 weeks pregnant after visiting an urgent care clinic for a chest cold. They ended up having us go to the hospital um, to get an ultrasound. I'm like, I bet it's only like six weeks or something. And, you know, I go in there and I get that um, ultrasound and they're like, oh, you're 14 weeks. And so then by that time, both my parents are there and they're both upset. You know, I had, you know, been using and it just was awful. It's really, I have a lot of guilt about it for sure. Um, A lot, a lot of guilt about it, but it's better now that I know that I'm doing okay, like looking back. But at the time, I really was really, really scared. Um, I didn't want to do anything to hurt this baby. You know, I just didn't. I knew I wanted to be a mom for sure, but I didn't know how I was going to be able to do that when I was in the middle of a really dark time for myself. And that's a patient of the care clinic. We're referring to her only as B in order to protect her privacy. So, Dr. Kelly, this uh, was your patient. I'm wondering if that's typical. It's, you know, she clearly had had this this drug problem, and yet it sounds like she took this pregnancy so seriously. She really wanted what was best for this baby. Do you see that a lot? Absolutely. Um, I tell my trainees, you know, the way that we treat opioid use disorder in our clinic, it's almost like cheating. Our patients are pregnant. They're super motivated. Even if they've never set foot in the hospital before, they have this huge motivator to come get medical care, to become healthy, because they understand, you know, they have something to live for, something to look forward to, um, something to kind of start planning for the future. And that is uh, a huge benefit to us to really pull them into medical care and gain their trust and um, form a hopefully ongoing relationship with them. 
So we heard B saying that she had been using heroin and fentanyl for 14 weeks. What kind of impact does that have when you're getting somebody come into the clinic and they're already that far along? So I think it's uh, almost cheating um, to kind of have this clinic to fight this opioid use disorder and to treat them. Um, I tell my residents all the time, you know, we have a really strong motivator in our patients in that they're pregnant. They have this reason to look to the future, to start planning for their future, and to think about tomorrow, which is not a situation that many of my colleagues who uh, treat opioid use disorder outside of pregnancy have. Um, I, I find that our patients really Uh, are motivated, and it's really our opportunity to step in, connect them to medical care, and really form a trusting relationship with the patient. And is 14 weeks early enough in a pregnancy that there's still a good chance this baby's going to be fine? Absolutely. At 14 weeks, we're cheering (laughs) if a patient comes in. You sometimes get them much later. much later. Sometimes they come in and deliver, and that's their first, uh, you know, visit with us in the healthcare system. So, you know, we are always playing catch up if, if that's the case. But someone coming to us in the first trimester or, you know, early second trimester, even we are really happy to see them because we have a lot of time to make a huge difference. Now, in B's conversation with St. Louis Public Radio reporter Sarah Fentum last year, B um, talked about what it was like to have you as a physician. She's been so inspirational to me. And just the fact that she was there from, like, the very beginning of, like, It's almost, you know, my, I feel like this is my real recovery. You know what I mean? Like, this is the longest that I've had, like, consecutively sober and, like, have been doing so well and, like, and proud of myself, you know? So she was there. um, So I went in and they kind of had to help me over that, that first kind of hump of, like, getting over being sick and getting over, like, that first initial, like, couple days of, like, wanting to go back or wanting to go forward. Um, with recovery, you know, that's, for me, that's how it is. You know, it's like this internal battle, but I knew that I had something to push me forward. And that's a patient at the care clinic that we're referring to only as B in order to protect her privacy. She talked about that really important first hump. Is that something that you see for the women that you deal with? That That's kind of the hardest part right there. Yes. It's, you know, you, we all have established patterns and when you've kind of gotten yourself into a rut, it's it's really hard to get out of it. I find that that first sort of impression that we make on our patients, that f- those first couple of weeks are probably the most vulnerable time. And if we can kind of keep them coming, if we can really reach out and hold them and keep them coming back into our medical care, once they get the medication on board, once they kind of come out of the most serious and severe you know, part of their disease, they, and they become stable, much like any other medical disease. It's it's just a part, uh, just a disease that we continue treating throughout their pregnancy. So B said some wonderful things about you, but I wonder how many times you have a patient where it feels like a promising situation, and then you just see they they can't end up hanging with it. Pregnancy doesn't end up becoming this life changing thing. Does that happen a lot? It, it does happen, and it's something that we always have to keep in mind. These are patients sometimes who have had untreated opioid disorder for years. Um, And, you know, we can't pretend that we are magicians and superheroes who can kind of sweep in and change 
everything uh, with, you know, one or two medical visits. It's a, it's a journey and it's a conversation that we have with our patients. I'm a strong believer that uh, a relapse is a part of their recovery. Um, we know that patients have an average of up to six times of relapses before they achieve long-term sobriety. That's not a failure. Uh, that is just part of the journey um, that everyone has to take into long-term recovery. Uh, and, you know, we it's a stigmatized disease. You know, we, we don't kick people out of clinics for, you know, if they're diabetic and they come in and their sugars are completely out of control. That's not a, re we don't judge people for that. We don't kick them out of medical care. If someone has high blood pressure and they come in and they haven't been taking their blood pressure medications, that's also not a reason, you know, to discontinue someone's medical care. I think it's important um, to explain to our patients, we feel the same way about, you know, illicit drug use. Uh, people do relapse. That is, we are all human. That is, we know that is something that happens, but that doesn't preclude someone from, you know, moving forward with their recovery. Now, B told our reporter that during her visits to the clinic, she met with a team that was a nurse, a case manager, a physician, and a resident doctor. And she said that the support of the physicians and the nurses at the clinic helped her achieve goals she never thought possible. You know, I think I had mentioned that I said that I couldn't do it, that I couldn't be here and stay sober and be okay. And I have, you know, so she's given me like this, this sense that I am so much stronger than what I thought I was, you know, and I'm able to put everything in perspective. And I've given, given up so many things that are like nothing to me now that would have been so important to me before I had her. And it's, it's just an, so indescribable. And I've done so many things that I told myself I was never going to be able to do. And I'm just like so proud of myself. And whenever I'm here at the clinic too, like they, they've told me recently, you know, like how proud they are of me and my journey and, you know, how well I've been doing. And, you know, that it feels so good to, to hear that, you know, not only from my family, but also like my whole team, like they're like my whole team of like these supportive women that, you know, have helped me get through this, and I'll just be forever grateful. And that's, again, be a patient at the care clinic who we're referring to just as, as that single initial. Um, I'm wondering how long after a pregnancy do you end up seeing patients like B? So at our clinic, uh, I see patients um, as an obstetrician up to six weeks postpartum, and we continue to prescribe for them at that time, um, making sure they're meeting all of their postpartum medical milestones, but obviously also checking in with them. Postpartum is a, a really vulnerable time. I think, you know, I'm a mom. I think anybody who has had a baby knows that postpartum time is super hard. And if you have any um, pre-existing depression, anxiety, um, you know, any other sort of mental health uh, diseases, it's really, really hard and those relapse quite a bit. And so all of that is very triggering for our patients um, for their own drug use relapses. After six weeks, um, we transition them to uh, our psychiatrist. So this is the same psychiatrist who's co-located in our clinic. So same staff, same location, just a, a different uh, physician. And so 
as of right now, we are indefinitely following all of these patients. So um, you're not giving up on these we, women? No, we, we, we really want to see our patients through their full recovery. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, a lot of our patients lose their insurance uh, 60 days after they give birth um, because they have Medicaid. And we really struggled with that in the beginning. We didn't know what to do um, for these patients. They can't pay for medications, much less their clinic visits. But as of right now, we have funding from the United Way, um, who helps pay for all of their visits and all of their medications to continue on in their recovery process for the immediate future. Wow. So private funding enables mm-hmm. them to, to keep getting that psychiatric help, keep getting the medication. Absolutely. That's amazing. Um, what about for these babies? I'm wondering how their long-term prognosis compares to, say, a baby who's been exposed to alcohol in utero. So their prognosis if mom is in treatment is much better. Uh, we know that these babies are at risk of that withdrawal after they're born. So somewhere around 60% of our patients um, will have their babies go through that withdrawal. Mm -hmm. We actually have pediatricians, so the neonatologists, um, who are specialists in treating babies who are going through with withdrawal. They come and talk to our moms even before the baby is born to go through expectations. So they, all of our moms, there are no surprises after the baby's born. They know how the baby will be monitored, how the baby will be treated, and what to expect in the ICU. Um, and for those babies, we know that getting them through that withdrawal period, um, you know, is really nerve-wracking for a lot of our patients. But once they get through it, they really do wonderful. Um, you know, since we keep tabs on our moms and they c- keep coming back for treatment, we, ha- we see those babies. And they are healthy. They're happy. Um, and they, as far as we know, have very little long-term mm-hmm. Um, issues from this exposure if moms are in treatment and and, in recovery. How long is a withdrawal period typically for a baby? So so, that can range from a couple of days to around three weeks. Okay. But so it sounds like after that three-week period, you feel really optimistic. These kids are going to be fine. Absolutely. Wow. I mean, that's got to be just the best feeling coming out of a situation where you know you've helped, you know, deliver this baby. And despite everything that preceded it, that that there's some really good outcomes here. Yes. It's watching a mom who has been, when she comes in in dire straits, um, you know, walk into our clinic with her baby who is healthy, who is under her custody, and the both of them are, um, you know, in a really good place in their lives. There's nothing more rewarding than that, and it keeps us going. Do you have a sense of the breakdown percentage-wise, um, you know, where it ends up with a successful outcome versus something that's not quite as successful? We have a pretty good success rate. And again, we're cheating, right? We have such a great motivator for our patients to stay with us. Um, our follow-up rate is over over 80% right now for our moms wow. into that postpartum period. So we, we think we have a pretty... Um, successful uh, program going. We Seems still, like a great number. Yes, we still have room for Im- improvement. We, we always will. Um, but I think it speaks to how necessary these services are and how successful they can be if they're available. What about the legal risks here? I'm wondering, could someone like be face repercussions if her baby is born with drugs in her system? Um, 
so they there are some legal repercussions. So if a baby is born with um, substances on board, we know that uh, the Department of Child and Protective Services do have to get involved. And our patients all know that going into delivery. We expect that file to be opened with the state. Um, and our goal is to have that file open, have them, you know, have our patients um, go through kind of, uh, you know, the questioning saying, oh, they're in a, in a treatment uh, program, they are mm-hmm. adherent to their care, they have a safe place to bring the baby and close that file. The and state is listening to exactly, those kind of factors. Absolutely. So our so, whole goal is to keep mom and babies together because we think that's good for moms and that's good for babies. So one of, of the interesting sort of trends you're seeing, I guess interesting is, is not the right word. It's, it seems like a very sad trend, but you're seeing more pregnant women who aren't just using one kind of drug. What are, what are you seeing on that front? Yeah, so right now we, um, we are seeing quite a high uptick in uh, methamphetamine use. Um, I thought that had kind of passed. Yeah, it's back. (laughs) It's it's back here in Missouri and St. Louis. I think uh, we know that it's on the rise kind of throughout the U.S., that's that's got to be a really troubling trend in your line of work. Um, how does that end up complicating the treatment for these women and and for the babies? So we know that unfortunately um, there's not a medication like buprenorphine or methadone that works for for, for meth. meth for meth misuse. Um, you know, and that's that's tough. And it's uh, it's the withdrawal from meth is really rough. And um, it just it takes a lot of time um, and a lot of supportive therapy uh, with our team to, to kind of get through that. But yes, it's a it's a real challenge um, for us right now. So these are harder cases, and you say you're seeing a would you say a big increase in uh, people who are using multiple drugs or people who are now using meth? I would say about a third of our patients have some sort of concurrent polysubstance use going on. So it sounds like this is going to be the next huge challenge in front of you. I, I definitely, and um, you know, we there there's a there's a reason for all this drug use. I, I you know the, we have a, a really vulnerable population where you know drug use with opioids, drug use with methamphetamine. It they use it because it feels good, right? It's this huge dopamine release. Um, and that's the same feeling that you get when your kids hug you or when your boss tells you, you did a really awesome job, I'm so proud of you. That's that dopamine rush that we are all, you know, all of us want. And when you don't have any of that in your life because things are bad, um, you're always gonna be looking for sources of it. And I think we we have a, 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 a tough, kind of population and time in our country right now where um, we're all in need of some extra dopamine. And, um, uh, you know, unless we can provide it in other ways with meaningful relationships, stable jobs, um, this is always going to be a problem. And if someone is listening to this program and they're pregnant and they're currently using drugs, what would be the message that you'd want them to hear today? The message would be that we have ways to help you. Please don't be scared. Please um, come. Uh, our goal is to get you healthy, get your baby healthy, and keep you guys together. So that is our message, I think. And it sounds like you have have some plans for that that, that have really paid off for a number of women. So it's exciting to hear about the work you're doing. Um, Dr. Jeannie Kelly, Medical Director of the Clinic for Acceptance, Recovery, and Empowerment at Washington University. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you so much.